This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man? Uh, still tired. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> Just trying to decompress and relax. Uh, dude, let me tell you, I am so ready to go to sleep at a normal hour because yes. the last couple of nights I've been up through the night getting these podcasts ready so that everybody could have them right away. And now I can relax a little bit when we do these mailbag questions because I don't have to have them up at midnight or whatever. They can be up first thing in the morning and I don't have to stress it the way that I was trying to get the immediate content out when we were doing those draft podcasts. They were a lot of fun, but man, they took a lot out of me. So that's why I'm glad that we're joined by a third guest, a very special guest. In fact, one might say a legend, a Twitter legend, if you will, Mr. Paulie Brzez. Paulie, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, You know, glad to be here. Glad to to see what these questions are in store. Um, You know, it it was a solid weekend, I'll say. It wasn't a Great weekend uh, with the draft, but I'm interested to get into these questions. Got to say, Paulie, I almost blocked your phone number the other day because you were going too insane about the second-round pick. I think you said something like, if the Jets don't get a second-round pick here, I want Mac to be deported, decapitated, and thrown into the river, all three. So you're getting a little carried away, buddy. I got to tell you. Uh, th- I think I think it was the river one. That's the Italian in me, but um, you know, I wanted more picks. That's always been my thing. But uh, but what they were able to do is stay put at three and take polite. I was perfectly fine once it happened. I should also note that Paulie, you may end up getting upgraded pretty soon from Twitter legend to internet legend because for anybody that's unaware. There's a whole Reddit thread about you breaking uniform news on this podcast. You can search for it on Google. When I stumbled on it by accident, I couldn't stop laughing, and I sent it to you, and I said, Paulie, I think you might be branching out. You're a Twitter legend, and you're approaching Reddit legend status now. <laughs> yeah, when you said that to me, I thought it was hilarious. But, you know, maybe we'll just take away the, the title in the front and just stick with legend, and, and, and that'll stick for all you know, branches of whatever I may be, you know, venturing out to. (laughs) You are flapping your wings and flying high all above social media with the multiple different platforms. So who knows where you're going to turn up next? Maybe I'll revive uh, MySpace. Ooh. (laughs) We'll call it Jet Space. (laughs) There you go. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So let's get into the mailbag, gentlemen, because we've got a lot of questions, and we'll start with my buddy Juan Moya. Juan's one of my favorite people on planet Earth. He's one of those guys where when I'm having a rough day, every single time, I'll be all upset, and then I get a text from Juan, and it always cracks me up and makes me smile. So Juan, love you, buddy. I'm glad to answer your question first. He says, Mr. Very Big Deal, Chris Nimbley, and the whole effing show, that's you, Scotty. With the way the roster is sorted out after the draft, can we as Jets fans realistically expect to be a playoff team? If you were drafting, would you have gone the same route that Mac Dinger went with the players chosen? So, of course, he's combining Mike McCagnan and Brian Hemmerdinger there. I definitely would have gone the same route with the first and the third round pick. No question about it. And I have been very vocal about that for months. I wanted Quinn and Williams number three. And I wanted Ja'Kai Polite if he fell to the third. Both things happen. And 100% I would have gone in that direction. As far as the rest of the picks, I was fine with Adoga. Although he wouldn't have been my first choice. I probably would have picked Akeem Butler there. They got cute. I think they thought Butler might last till their pick in the fourth. He didn't. And then when he didn't, that's when they started to trade down. I would have stayed at that spot, and I then would have picked Drew Samia, the guard out of Oklahoma, because I think that he could be the guard to replace Brian Winters in 2020. They decided to trade down, and they got Trayvon Wesco instead, who I thought was fine, but again, that wouldn't have been my pick. The rest of the way... You're talking about fifth and sixth rounders that nobody knows that much about, so we're all kind of guessing, but I don't really love the trend of picking older prospects who have low ceilings and have had multiple surgeries. It's kind of a concerning trend. So as far as that goes, that's my answer. And as far as whether or not we should realistically expect the playoffs, I think that if everything goes well and they don't have a bunch of injuries, there's definitely a chance to be in playoff contention. Would I be banking on going to the playoffs? No, but I think... Seven wins is about where I would guess, but if a few things go in their favor here and there, they could bump up to nine wins and get into the playoffs, kind of the same way that Adam Gase snuck into the playoffs his first year in Miami. I wouldn't be super surprised. Same thing when Rex Ryan was here his first year in 2009. So that's kind of where I sit with that. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, listen, this is all offseason long. I talked about how I would have been okay with them going offense the entire draft just because they needed offense so bad. But that's how you know uh, how much I love the first two picks because the first two picks are were absolutely right. As much as they needed offense, you couldn't pass in Quinn and Williams. There wasn't an offensive player there. He's so good. And even in the third round, you're sitting there, and yes, you uh, you would like to use that pick on you know a center if one of them had dropped or just an offensive person. But Ja'Kai Polite was too good of a value there, too high of a ceiling to pass up there. I like the Adoga pick. I probably would have gone with him in the fourth round. That's where I was expecting them to target him. So I agree with you. I probably would have gone with you know somebody different. Uh, Butler would have been a perfect spot there, and then you probably could have got Adoga there. And the fourth, you know, if you missed out on the Dogan, no big deal. The rest of the draft, again, I haven't watched those guys. When I watched West Virginia, uh, 
I was just watching Mo Greer and Sills. That, that's all I was looking at. I wasn't watching and paying attention to the tight end. That was usually like the, the, the third game on one of my TVs. I, I wasn't sitting there paying super close attention. I just wanted to look at Greer and Sills. So, but everybody else has uh, very high things to say about them. Uh, they really talked him up, especially as a blocker. They need that uh, extra tight end blocker. So that I'm all right with that pick. It's the other picks where I'm, you know, I, I, they don't sound good. Everything else sounds like the same type of stuff with McCagney, the same fifth, sixth, seventh round picks he always picks. I'm going to wait and see and reserve my judgment until I actually go through and look at some tape of these guys and gather some more information. I'm holding off on doing draft grades until I do all that. So I, I like to be able to form an opinion about these players myself before I really start saying anything one way or the other. But again, just the, the profile that they go with, that he continues to go with the older players, the injured players, have already had numerous surgeries. It just, again, we talked about this yesterday. You Those picks have a low percentage of hitting. You want to maximize it, and it seems to makes the chances even lower with each one he picks. So with the first pick, um, with Quinnen, everybody knows the type of player he was. Everybody knows what his projection is going to be. Uh, but for me, I wanted the trade back because I wanted more picks. So for me, initially when the pick happened, I had my reaction, and I told everybody that I, while I think it's a great pick, it's kind of a boring pick, but it's what was expected. But being able to land polite in round three, kind of brought everything together for me, which made me then love the pick of, of Williams because now you've got the two guys that are going to be able to get after the quarterback from the interior and off the edge. Um, the type of player that, that Polite is, I don't think he's even scratched the surface. Um, his ceiling is huge. Um, you know, He played with his hand in the dirt and standing up in Florida, so I think he's really going to be a real asset for this team. Um, but I think you know after that, I would have tried to get a wide receiver and a cornerback uh, because I do think while some people tr- yelled at me and told me that wide receiver isn't a need of this team, to me it really is. Yeah. Um, Quincy Quincy hasn't proven to stay healthy over a season. And in all seriousness, I mean, I do think that they, they will sign Robbie long-term, but right now he's on a one-year deal. So, I mean, to me, wide receiver and corner were ignored, um, and, and those were positions that needed to be upgraded. Um, Wesco, I knew a little bit about. Um, I know he played H-back, he played tight end and fullback, and, and they kind of used him as a lead blocker a lot um, at West Virginia, so I understand that pick. Um, but after that, I mean, taking a linebacker that's coming off three three shoulder surgeries, an older player again, um, taking a corner who's played five games in, in, in two years, and, and people are coming at me saying, how can you criticize a six-round pick? Well, very easily, because there was players there that this team could have drafted, that could have not contributed right away, but could have been a developmental player. I mean, we're still waiting for Jeremy Clark to show up from, what, three drafts ago, which is kind of the same situation. Um, This guy tore his ACL twice in one knee. Um, I believe it was the second tear for Jeremy Clark as well, and we haven't seen him anything other than changing his jersey number this year. So I I like what they did, maybe the first three picks, uh, four picks possibly, depending on how Wesco turns out. Uh, but I think there was other places they could have gone with their second, third, and their first, fourth round pick. I just, I just think McCagnan went back to his old ways after he took, you know, Quinn and Williams, best player available, and then Jakai Polite, which is kind of a player I usually expect him to pass on. Um, and then after that, it's just, you know, the question marks of 
what are these players going to do for this team? Because that's been the issue, the depth in the later rounds, when you see other teams getting fifth and sixth round picks that are contributing for them after year after year one or two, and the Jets haven't had that. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The next question comes in from Clifton Hopkins, and he says, The picks this team made in the fourth and fifth rounds didn't make much sense to me. At linebacker, they have Mosley, Hewitt, and Lee. The guy they drafted may turn out to be okay, but I think depth is all right there. At tight end, they've got Herndon, Leggett, Tomlinson, and others. I don't see the need. So I'll answer it this way. First of all, I don't really think that any of those guys other than Herndon mean anything at this point. So not really worried about that. But I do see your point as far as the possible impact or the upside of these guys. And at linebacker, again, I don't really think that it's that deep. Neville Hewitt's not a reason not to draft a guy, but it's a matter of picking the best possible players, and I just wonder if Trayvon Wesco was the best possible player there or if they should have stayed where they were. I wonder if Cashman was the best possible player considering the fact that he's 23 years old and he's had the three shoulder surgeries and he doesn't have a ton of athletic upside. So I'm not going to judge too harshly on those guys until I see what they do because Chris and I talked about this yesterday. We only know what we've read and the very limited amount that we've watched because let's be honest who was sitting there dissecting Minnesota linebackers film that just wasn't happening unless you were somebody that had a specific eye on this kid for a reason so we only know what we know based on mostly what we read and the limited amount that we watched it seems like the pattern really is what's concerning with McCagnan more than anything else because the picks in a nutshell you could argue for but it's just the idea that all of his picks on day three were older guys with low ceilings that also have had multiple injuries and it's something that he's done in the past and been criticized for correctly because if you look at all of the guys that he's picked that fit that mold the only one that you could argue has been successful is Marcus May and even he has had his issues because of injuries so that to me was really much more concerning than the individual picks that's pretty much how you see it right Chris yeah the I agree with uh the point there on the linebackers with Blake Cashman as the depth there and you know you brought up Neville Hewitt and that's fine but it doesn't sound from what I've read that this is somebody you could expect to be better than Neville Hewitt so and you know but I I completely disagree on the tight ends I've been saying this all off season uh a Eric Tomlinson it's they don't you can't have Eric Tomlinson anymore. Like we've been talking about Eric Tomlinson as the blocking tight end for a couple of years now. And here's the thing about Eric Tomlinson as a blocking tight end. He's not actually good at blocking. He's like, it doesn't, it defies logic to keep bringing him and having him as the blocking tight end. Neil Sterling and Jordan Leger, Leggett, cool. Uh, you know, but they're not anything that you, going to be really excited about they needed a a second blocking tight end and even when i would talk about the idea of you know if they traded back trying to get like hawkinson or fant and then people would be like oh you can't do that and they come at me with like okay well then who are you taking off the field on a third down play 
and again, we've talked about this a lot. It's not when you're drafting, you're drafting a player for four or five years, depending on what round you take them in. And you're hoping that guy will be on your team for five to 10 years. So you can't sit there and just look at that year's roster to determine about taking a draft pick. If you get somebody who you think is going to be there for five to 10 years, then that player is good enough to be drafted by you. It's that simple. Eric Tomlinson, Neil Sterling showed flashes, but he was hurt all year. Eric Tomlinson was just just a disgrace all season. Uh, it seemed like anytime he actually got a positive play, which this wasn't his fault, but it would be negated by by a penalty, whether it be holding or something. And it just he's not a good blocker. They call him the blocking tight end, like you said, but he's just been abysmal. Wesco is a good blocker. So to me, this pick. Not, Tomlinson is not making the roster after this draft pick, so that's that's good and fine. Um, I think I think Jordan Leggett has a has a, a hill to climb it if Sterling is healthy. So I don't think that Wesco, excuse me, I don't think that Tomlinson is is on this roster. So after this pick, now as far as the linebacker goes, um, I didn't know much about him. I didn't care to look at linebackers because I didn't really think it was going to be a, a position that was addressed by this team. Yeah. Um, the the things I know is that he's a tackling machine. He doesn't miss tackles. He's really athletic. Um, while, yes, he did have the three shoulder surgeries, he was on the field completely for a full season last year. Um, I am going to do a little bit more research on him, but I've gone through, you know, I've read some tweets. I've, I've, I've watched a few things. So I think he might be a player that we might be able to utilize on special teams, at least in year one. Um, so I'm not sure where he fits in, but I just think that there was another position that they could have gone at that spot. Well, I mean, I don't remember exactly the players that were on the board when when he was taken, but I mean, again, I I just I just think the lack of skill players added. I, I I don't really like you know to to compare them to the Bills, but I mean, look what the Bills have done all off season. They they've upgraded the line and they've added skill players. Whether it be I don't want I think John Brown is a really good player and he was somebody I wanted the Jets to look at, but they've put players around Allen to see what they can do. I just think that. After Bell and Crowder, the Jets really haven't done much to add offense, offensive skill players to this roster. There is a undrafted free agent who I am in love with, Jalen Moore, that I think maybe can make this team. But I just think that they could have drafted some offensive skill players with the limited picks that they had. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The interesting thing with Buffalo is, honestly, sitting at nine when Haskins dropped, I thought that would have been a really good pick for them because if you think about it, they've made upgrades on the line, like you said, with Morse. And they have one of the best backfields in the entire league with Shady McCoy, TJ Yeldon, and Josh Allen. So if they would have just added a quarterback to that offense, <laughs> they really would have had something going up in Buffalo. And I'm kind of surprised uh, that they didn't do it. That's, that, that's great. I tweeted out about how when they took Devin Singletary about how they had 86 uh, running backs on the roster at that point, and I was waiting for somebody to make a joke about 87. You forgot to count Josh Allen, but nobody did. <laughs> they do have a ton of running backs, and 
And you know, TJ Yeldon was a was a perfect player for the Jets to sign to compliment Bell, and I'm so mad they let him go to Buffalo. They have a bunch of running backs, but they also have a starting center that has a reputation for being above average in the league. That is something the Jets do not have, and that's something that Gus Toon is worried about. He says, gentlemen, I realize that the Jets have more holes than picks, but do you think Mack messed up by not addressing the center position with one of the third-round picks? After all, protecting Sam Darnold is even a bigger deal than Chris Nimbley. So let's start with this. First of all, (laughs) nothing is a bigger deal than Chris Nimbley because he is a very big deal. That's the highest level of big deal that you can be. And as much as I want Sam Darnold to be protected, let's not disrespect the rank that Chris has earned, okay? So let's start there. The second. That. <laughs> I got to stick up for you, Chris. I mean, facts are facts, buddy, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so the second part of this involves the center position. I've gone over this, and people don't want to hear it, but this is the reality. The Jets were not comfortable with Matt Paradis's medical. Chris, you and I talked about this. This is yeah. why Paradis got a glorified one-year deal in Carolina. It's why Denver was only offering a one-year deal. Teams were nervous about the leg. Morse got a big deal from Buffalo that the Jets were not able to make match and from there look at the other available centers they're all pretty much terrible let's be honest about it and there's a reason why guys like Wisniewski and Sullivan are still sitting there because they're terrible so you go into the draft and yeah you would have loved to have gotten a Garrett Bradbury or an Eric McCoy or an Elton Jenkins somebody like that but the problem is those guys were going to go as we saw with Bradbury middle of the first round and the other two in the second round the Jets didn't have a second round pick and there's no way they were going to pick Garrett Bradbury at number three so unless they were going to trade down There just wasn't any options there. And any other centers that you were going to pick were mostly going to be guards that you were projecting as possible centers. And they weren't going to be able to start at center day one. Certainly, they weren't going to beat out Jonathan Harrison. I think that the Jets think a lot more of Jonathan Harrison than most people do. Do I think that he's going to be a great center? Probably not. Do I think that he could be good enough to maybe not embarrass them with the right coaching and the right schemes from Frank Pollock? Possibly. So we'll see. But I will say this. I don't know that there are any better options out there unless, Chris, like you said, that center from Green Bay pops up as available because of the fact that they picked a center. If that happens, then maybe. But other than that, I'm not in a rush to sign with Snooski or Sullivan or somebody like that. If you want to do it just to give... Harrison competition, fine, but I fully expect Jonathan Harrison to be the starting center here, and I think that once Morse was signed and once the Jets realized that they weren't going to be able to get one of the starting caliber centers in the draft because they were going to go ahead of where they were going to be able to get them, they realized, you know what, this is just how it's going to be, we're going to roll with Jonathan Harrison, and we think that he's better than most people do, and we're going to find out if that's true. Yeah, and listen, they didn't sign Jonathan Harrison to that contract to have him uh, be a backup. They Now, that doesn't mean that they weren't going to explore other ways to possibly upgrade at that position, but they signed him to a contract that says, hey, you're going to start if we need you to start. Like, it could have been, uh, they could have gotten a different direction and been all right with that, but they signed him to that contract with the, you might have to play a bunch of games. So, and, you know, I know everybody wanted a center, but you can't force that there. There was three uh, guys in this draft, three centers in this draft that people thought could come in and start day one. They were all gone in the second, by the second. Uh, if if they had a second-round pick and they passed on McCoy, then I'd be saying something more about it. 
But to, once those guys were off the board, the fact that they didn't go ahead and take a Michael Jordan or Connor McGovern, or they didn't try to just convert them into a center, it doesn't bother me. Those guys, there's so much that goes into the position of center. You have to know every other position. You have to be able to read the defense and call out the defense to the quarterback. There's, that's a lot to put on a rookie's plate. So not only do you have to adjust to the NFL and playing against NFL, other NFL teams, but now you have to learn this new position and learn all the responsibilities of all the other positions and learn to, uh, what everything you're seeing in the defense and to relay that to your teammates and the quarterback. And it does so much to put onto it. The idea that you could just take some guard and just plug them in a center, maybe it would work, maybe, but that's it. You can't bank on that, so you're not. You don't want to force that. Just take the best player available. Now we can debate if that's what they did on these picks, and that's fine in a separate argument. But you can't just force a pick at a position just because you need that position. It does you no good. Why are you going to waste that pick then? If you try to force a position on a guy who's not good enough for the position, it becomes a wasted pick. Yeah, I, I agree the same. Just like just like Chris said. Um, the, the three plug-and-play guys were gone before the Jets had a chance, so you weren't going to upgrade. And like he said, making a guy switch, a rookie, you're not really going to get impact from him year one because he's got to learn the position. So while accepting Jonathan Harrison being the week one starter right now may be the case, um, I mean, he played better than Spencer Long the, the short time that he got. Uh, so we're just going to have to, you know, hope and pray that if he's playing a full 16 – um, you know, he, he's just a consistent player and he's good for Darnold. Uh, Darnold played well down the stretch with him on their center. Um, so that's, you know, that's something to, you know, fingers crossed, hope we can continue to have going forward. But, but the three plug and play guys were gone. Um, so, so you're not really going to have an option as a rookie. So they might sign a guy like Wisniewski, uh, maybe to compete with Harrison. But I think right now I know it's only April, but your week one starter is probably Jonathan Harrison, and we'll see how it plays out. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question kind of plays into what we were talking about, about not having the second round pick, because it's Michael Christopher wanting to know who we think the Jets were trying to trade up for in the second round if the reports were accurate. What were the biggest surprises to you of the first round? So let's start with the first part of that question because it plays into what we were saying with the center. I think there's a decent chance they were trying to trade up for one of the centers. I also think it might have been Jawan Taylor, which, by the way, was my biggest surprise of round number one. I can't believe that he was still on the board in the second round. I also was surprised that Greedy Williams and Byron Murphy fell into the second round, and DK Metcalf was another guy that I was surprised. I thought somebody toward the end of the first round was going to take a stab at him so those are the guys that really surprised me there were some other guys that I thought went a little higher or a little lower than I thought Josh Allen fell a little bit I was kind of surprised honestly that the Jets didn't trade that number three overall pick because I thought that they were looking for an excuse to get out of that spot and pass on the opportunity to pick a guy that I think is an A-plus prospect in Quinn and Williams because they were desperate to get more picks but they stayed there 
I would say the Giants picking Daniel Jones, I want to say that that is a huge surprise, but it kind of wasn't because, A, it's what Gettleman does. By the way, I have to have a good laugh at what he just said about how he knows for a fact that two teams ahead of them would have picked Daniel Jones if they hadn't done it at 6, that they would have picked him before 17. Of course, all the reports are that the Redskins had their eye on Haskins all along and that the guy that Denver wanted all along was Drew Locke. So it sounds like Gettleman is just trying to bail himself out of a very unpopular decision. But Daniel Jones was surprising but not totally shocking because... You know that the Giants make stupid moves like that, or at least they have since Gettleman's been there. Haskins slipping all the way to 15 was definitely a surprise. Those are the ones that stick out to me. Chris, what do you think? What was surprising to you, and who do you think they were trying to trade up for when they were trying to trade back into the second round? Yeah, I'll start with who they were trying to trade up for. I looked into it. I haven't gotten a concrete answer back, but... uh... What it sounds like, what it feels like, is they were trying to get one of those centers there. I'm not 100% sure. What we do know is they weren't trying to trade up for Jalen Ferguson, which was being reported. Uh, obviously, he was still on the board when they picked, so and they didn't do that. So that's obviously not the what they were trying to do. I think it was probably uh, one of the centers. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Taylor either. The biggest surprise of the first half, this is weird because this doesn't really make sense. It doesn't compute. Considering the fact that, uh, you know, leading up into the draft, I kept hearing about the Giants and Daniel Jones, how much they like Daniel Jones. And I tweeted after watching Duke's bowl game this year, I tweeted that I watched that game and I said, he's playing just good enough that the Giants are going to take him. It, the Cutliffe connection, Gettleman, it just made all the sense in the world. And yet I'm still going to go with that as my surprise pick because how? Just how? And listening to what he talked about, he's a, he loved everything about him by watching on film. You loved everything about a guy who couldn't beat Virginia once in his entire career. You loved everything about a guy that had the completion percentage in the 50s with like a 5.7 yards per attempt uh, average. And then he's, he said he uh, – Three, he watched three series at the Senior Bowl, and then he was in full bloom in love with him. And I mean, Jesus, that's what it takes. You watch three series at a Senior Bowl, and you're sold on a guy at number six. Again, it made all the sense in the world. I figured it would happen, and, and it's still just so bad of a pick that that is my biggest surprise of it. Cleveland Farrell was another surprise. Yeah, I, I forgot think, to mention that one, Chris. That yeah. actually might have been the biggest surprise. I, and the thing is, I don't think it's a bad pick. It was just they was being talked about later in the draft in the first round. I really like him. I thought you know they could have gone other places. You know, if you're going to go there, I would have gone Josh Allen as much as I was arguing he wasn't the pick for the Jets. There, I would have taken him over Cleveland Farrell. But that that's a surprise. Dwayne Haskins, the the Washington being able to just sit, stay put at 15 and take him was a little bit of a surprise. And I'll just say the receivers in general were a little bit of a surprise. Though, like I said, there's such a high difference in how people view receivers overall that it's really hard to be surprised by that. But I I still thought that there would be more uh, receivers taken a little higher. I thought that the Patriots would have gone with, like, A.J. Brown there. I I thought that would have been a perfect spot for him. He seems, uh, you know, he can play inside, outside. And I just thought he would have been great in that system. But, yeah, even though I saw it coming, even though that's what I was hearing, 
the Daniel Jones pick is still the surprise of the, of the first round to me. Dexter Lawrence was another one that was kind of surprising, but then again, it's Dave Gettleman, and if there's a dumb move to be made, Dave Gettleman will be the one to make it. I will say, though, that would have been an awesome pick in the first round in 1988. Yes. Paulie? Well, I, again, I think Daniel Jones was surprising to me, um, but at the end of the day, they, they took the quarterback, who's not going to, because he knows Eli, he went to the Manning Passing Academy, he was coached by Cutcliffe, He's not going to go in and ruffle Eli's feathers. He's going to be okay with sitting behind him. He's not going to try to compete like Haskins would have. Um, so that was shocking, and Farrell was shocking to me. I just I couldn't believe he went four, uh, which you know maybe they were thinking that we wouldn't take Quinnen and they would have a shot at him, and then that's what they went with. Um, but as far as is what what I was really shocked at is that the way the NFL is, it's a passing league. And we had one DB taken in round one. Um, I, that was, that was strange to see. Uh, and it wasn't the deep, excuse me, two DBs were taken in round one because the Giants came back in for, for Baker. So there was a safety in a corner taken, but just the way the league is that to see only two DBs in round one, uh, that was one of the most shocking things I've seen in a long time. This next question comes in from Michael Pallison. It's a really interesting question. He says, with the addition of Trayvon Wesco, do you see Adam Gase shifting philosophy more towards multiple tight ends and back sets for the Jets, or do you still see him sticking to 11 personnel as frequently as he did in Miami? And he actually included a chart that shows that Gase used 11 personnel almost 70% of the time. So that shows you right there that he really prefers 11 personnel. And then Michael says, part two, the question, do you think he should shake it up more and shift to more 12 personnel rather than 11 personnel? I would say that he definitely should if they believe that Wesco could be a guy that could be a difference maker in any marked way on the offense. If they feel like he was underutilized as a pass catcher at West Virginia, then certainly they should use more 12 personnel. I don't know that that's what they think. It's possible that they're bringing him in here strictly because they think he's a really good run blocker, and if he catches the ball every now and again, fine. But as far as whether or not he will, his history indicates that he probably won't. I don't know what he thinks of Wesco, and I think that that's really what this boils down to. But if I were to guess, I would say that he probably uses Wesco primarily as a blocker. He'll let him catch the ball every now and again, but I don't see him using a lot of 12 personnel. I think he's going to stick with what he knows, because if we know anything about Gase, he tends to stick to what he likes. And so I would imagine that Wesco is primarily going to be used as a blocker. Yeah, and and here's the the thing about that pick, because if Gase is going to stick to his 11 personnel, then that pick does become, you know, a little less valuable and make a little less sense. Uh, You know, I I can't look at Adam Gase and what he's done from going place to place and say that I expect him to make a big change in his philosophy. Uh, You know, I asked him about uh, his offensive philosophy when they had the – uh, introductory press conference for him and I asked him you know how he will look at it if he's going to you know base the offense just on his system or he's going to base it around the personnel he has and he gave me some boilerplate answer that basically didn't say anything and maybe he learned his lesson maybe he will switch it up maybe he's done all that but there's not a lot that I can point to or, or anything I can point to that would lead me to bet on that uh, it just, it, it, 
His his history shows you he's going to do what he likes to do. I definitely think they should incorporate more in that, especially if you look at how uh, NFL offenses are in this day and age. You want to have those two tight end sets a lot. It just makes a lot of sense. Whether you're running or passing, it gives the defense a different look. And throw some of it in there more and more. But, you know, it's going to depend also on Wesco, if he, how he comes along. Because he's everybody that really liked him, they still say that as good of a blocker he is, he still has some work to do. So, you know, maybe he won't be ready for it right away. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But it's hard to look at Adam Geese and expect him to really change his offensive philosophies at this point. I'm going to keep this short and simple. Gase isn't changing. Yeah. That's the first part. Number two, um, Wesco, if he was going to change and he was going to look for that second, you know, option as a tight end, as a receiver, I mean, from Wesco's college career, we don't know. I mean, his first season, his first two seasons, he had two receptions. His last season, which was obviously 2018, he had 26 catches and only 366 yards and a touchdown. So did he come along in his last season? Sure. But it's a pass-happy offense in West Virginia that had a high-caliber quarterback in Will Greer, one of my favorite quarterbacks in the draft. And, I mean, he only had 26 catches. So, um, he, like I said, he lined up as, as, as a tight end. He lined up as a fullback. He lined up as an H-back for West Virginia. He, he's an above-average blocker. Uh, but he wouldn't be the guy, I think. I mean, unless they can transform him into that. I mean, right away, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be the, the second receiving option immediately because he hasn't shown that he can do that. That's going to wrap things up for part one of the mailbag. We will be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure to follow Paulie on Twitter at Paulie underscore B-R-U-Z. Follow Chris at C Nimbly. Go to JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.